everybody. It's kind of weird, because I know you can see me the entire time. But I'm secretly trying to do a magic trick where your attention is on that, the screen, right? And then lights come up, and here I am. So um, I, I appreciate you being wowed by that every week. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> That's the one magic trick I know, to get out here and be here when the lights come on. Um, man, excited to see you guys. Um, excited to be here at New Life. Excited to see what God's going to do today in our lives. Uh, I believe God's got something special for us today. Uh, I, I know that God has been thinking about you in, while he was preparing this message in my heart uh, this week. I know that God has been thinking about you in the sense of wanting to encounter um, you and for you to encounter his power and his presence today. And that's why we're in this series. If there's anything I can do for you as a pastor, I want to leave you hungry for God's presence. If this was your last week with me, and then after this you're going to move to some other community, some other place, I would definitely want to try to leave you as hungry as possible to encounter the power and presence of God in your personal life. I'm convinced that at the, as, as I look at the world that we live in, um, this world continues to become more and more hostile to the cause and to the purpose of Jesus Christ. And every day that goes by, you're continuing to hear more and more stories of persecution against the church and against Christians and against people who stand up for biblical values and live their life in a biblical, biblical way. Um, it doesn't fear, I'm not feared by that. Um, I'm not dismayed by that. I wish that it wasn't the case, but the Bible nevertheless tells me that that is the world in which I'm going to live in. And Jesus is the one who said this to us. He goes, look, um, just so you know this, if the world hates you, just remember who they hated first. And that's the world we live in. And so as a pastor, I can either, you know, teach you how to, you know, dig a bunker in the back of your house and prepare on how to live there for years without interacting with anybody, which I think would be a complete waste of all of our time and money and resources. Or I can prepare you to be a warrior for Christ and know what it's like to stand up against opposition. And you're not gonna, I'm not going to teach you how to stand up in opposition with a physical weapon. I'm going to teach you how to stand up in opposition with a spiritual weapon. And that one spiritual weapon that I can leave you with that's greater than any other one that I can ever instill inside your heart is a hunger for you personally to encounter the power and presence of God where you have a story that says, I know the presence of God. I know what it's like to sense God. I have found God coming alive in his word. I have found God coming alive in prayer. I have found God coming alive inside of my soul through worship of him. I've found God coming alive inside of me as I engage with other believers. If there's one thing I can leave you with, I want to leave you with hungering after the heart of God more than anything else. Because when the shaking of the church in America comes, there will be many who will depart from the faith. Why? Because they knew God only in name, but they had no relationship with him. It, I'm dumbfounded by the idea that someone would be in a church today saying that I am a pursuer of Jesus Christ, that I, I know who he is cerebrally here, but they have never experienced him here. And it's those, those are the ones that I'm most concerned about. And so today, as we go through this series, the whole desire of this series is to cause a hunger inside of you that just possibly, just maybe, I could meet with God just possibly I would hear the whisper of God. And that's what I want for your life more than I want anything. I want you to come as we gather together with an expectation. An expectation that God wants to meet with you. 
And an expectation that you will meet with God when we gather together on a weekly basis. I don't want you to come with an expectation that, you know, I hope that Jeff's preaching or I hope that Nate's preaching, which sometimes I hope that Nate's preaching. <clears throat> right? I don't want you to come with the expectation that I hope so-and-so is leading worship or this person's doing that or that I run into my friend. Those are all secondary very, very much secondary. The first expectation I want you coming to church with is this. I'm coming to meet with God. And if you remember back to week one of the series, and if you don't, that's okay. You can watch it online. But I'm going to recall one statement that I made in the first, the first uh, Sunday of this series. And it was an equation. The equation was this. Expectation plus seeking equals finding. And it, guys, it's just a human nature within us, that if we expect something, then we start searching for it, and lo and behold, we find it. And it could go both in a good or in a negative way. In our faith, our faith is expectation. My faith says that, God, you are who you said you are, and God, you do want to meet with me. And so I have this expectation that when I come into your house and gather with other believers, that you are here in the midst of us, like your word says. And that secondarily, that not only are you only here in the midst of us, but you are here to meet with me, meaning you're here to speak to me, that there's something in here, in this heart of mine, that you're going to deposit a Christ-centered thought. You're going to deposit a little bit more of your spirit in me. My expectation is that. Therefore, all morning long, guess what you're doing? You're searching for him. You're listening intently during a sermon. You're searching for him in the midst of a worship song where those words came on the screen and for the very first time, all of a sudden they came alive to you. You're searching for him in those moments of prayer. You're not just going through them religiously, but you're searching for him. God's the one who said that when you seek after me with all your heart, you find me. Guys, that's where we're at. But unfortunately, as I've been praying for you all week long, I can't get away from the idea that many of you have never had a moment in your life where you could say, I encountered God. And could it be that The whole time, God's been moving in your life, but as like a radio frequency, you've been dialed to the wrong frequency, listening for God, while God's been dialed dialed to this other frequency, doing something in your life. And I would say to you, many of you, you, you're looking for God to do something big, profound, like an audible voice. Hello, Jeff. I'm going to tell you, I've never heard, hello, Jeff, like that. I've heard this, like, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you thinking? I've heard that. I've heard my heart being drawn to his word and finding myself in his, in, his, in his word. I found that. I found in worship my heart being overwhelmed by him and God whispering to me those classic words that I believe he wants to whisper to us more than anything else, and that is, I love you, and I'm for you, and I'm not against you. I believe in you. I want to empower you. I want to forgive you. I believe God speaks to us more than we actually know that that he's speaking to us, number one. And I believe that God speaks very simple things to us. And they're not the open up the clouds in the sky and some big vision happens where, you know, you don't even know where you're at anymore. But it's the whispers of the Holy Spirit, guys, is where where the, the Spirit of God tends to dwell. It's the whispers. It's those small, subtle things that in the emptiness of my soul, all of a sudden it starts being filled with hope. Then in the midst of my peacelessness, I start having peace. In the midst of my depression, I start to experience joy. 
You see what I'm saying? In the midst of my loneliness, God, send that servant along my path. In the midst of my questioning, God puts the words inside of the mouth of that pastor and he speaks those words or she speaks those words and my heart leaps and it goes, that's what I've been looking for. It's in those whisper moments that we find God moving and I want you to have those because if not, then as this world continues to turn itself inside out, upside down and gets ripped apart at the very seams, I'm afraid that you might find yourself getting caught up in that because you don't have anything to anchor your faith in. God wants you to experience his presence and his power because he wants you to have anchors in your faith. Experiencing the power and presence of God, by the way, is not just for spiritual leaders. It's not just for biblical characters, but experiencing the power and presence of God is for every single believer. It's for every person that's here today, hearing my voice, listening to me online right now, with us at one of our campuses. It's for every single person. I know what's going on in a couple of your heads right now. Well, you don't really know me, Jeff. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what my background is. And I would say to you this, you probably don't know what mine is either. Some of you do, and it's amazing that I'm even sitting here in front of you today, but that's the grace of God at work. Last week, we learned that the power and presence of God wants to engage your life because it sets you apart. A lot of people think that when I encounter God, I encounter God through salvation, like I came to the cross, like, what, like one that sits here in this auditorium and sits in every one of our campuses, a cross, a rugged cross. A cross that doesn't look polished and clean, right? It's a rugged cross. It's one where a person could die on. It's one where I need to come and die. And we think that when we encounter God, we encounter God in salvation. And I would say to you, absolutely, absolutely, because you're not smart enough to find Jesus on your own. And I'm not trying to be derogatory towards you, because Jeff Baker's not smart enough to find Jesus on his own. We were drawn by him, chosen by him, wooed by him. And if you said, yes, I surrender my life to Jesus, that's an encounter with God right there. But we think that that encounter alone will somehow sustain my lifetime. And I'm here to tell you today that one encounter with God is not what sets you apart. It's the continual encounters with God that sets you apart for what purpose? To be used for God to accomplish his agenda. God has an agenda for you. And it's massive. It's big. It's profound. It's mind-blowing if God were to share his entire agenda for, for you in this lifetime it would cause some of you to faint it would cause some of you to be fearful it would cause some of you to doubt but I'm telling you today God has an agenda for your life that's so much bigger than what you are living in right now and it's not because you're missing God it's just because God will just keep revealing it to you piece by piece by piece those pieces are encounters so we must Find a rhythm of encountering God on a regular basis so that we might be set apart to accomplish his agenda in this life for us. To do that today, I, I want to do something for you. I want to I share three encounters, three biblical encounters with you. And my prayer for you all week long has been that as I share these three biblical encounters, straight from God's word, that you would... Was that Siri or something like that? Siri, Siri, don't interrupt my sermon. All right. You know what? I should do that sometime. I should just do like this. Hey, Siri, where do you find Exodus 3? And then watch all your phones light up. That would be awesome. I'm going to do that someday. So just get ready. Just get ready. All right, Siri, 
It's a personal challenge. Um, as I share these three stories, that, these real encounters, what I, what I pray that happens is that somewhere along the, the journey that we're going to experience together today, that you will come to a place where you're like, you know, I, I, I heard God or I sensed God whisper to me while you shared that second encounter, that's you. You would sense God saying something like this to you, I want to do that same kind of encounter in your life. You would sense God, you know, kind of stirring hope inside of you. Like, like wait, you expect me to meet with you like I met with this guy in the Bible? Would you expect that? Start expecting that. Or if none of that happens, that you just personally would be stirred with a faith that says, you know what, man, I would love, I would love to meet with you, God, in the capacity that I heard coming right out of your word. That's my prayer for you. I'm asking you to look for that. Because that's the beginning of a God encounter for your life. So let's look at the first biblical encounter. It's found in Exodus chapter 3. It's Moses and the burning bush. We know that Moses is a, uh, is a main character of the Old Testament. Okay, But forget that for a moment. Let's go back to when nobody knew him. Moses was just a baby born to an Israelite family growing up in the, in the um, tyranny of Egypt growing up, um, you know, as a slave, a captive, and so his, his mother wanted something better for him. So she finds a way for this baby, Moses, to be, you know, brought into Pharaoh's house to be raised by him, you know, the elite of the elite of their time, the most powerful family that lived on planet earth at that moment. And miraculously, Moses is adopted into their family, and Moses is raised now as an Egyptian uh, with all of the rights as an Egyptian, with, with all of the, the prosperity and with all the hope of leadership to come. But somewhere along the way, Moses is waking up to his reality, right, as this adopted son from an, from an Israelite family. And he sees the way that the Egyptians, now his people, are treating his people. And uh, he gets angry about that and he, he kills a soldier. And then he becomes a fugitive and he has to move to the backside of the desert where he goes from the most elite home where anything he asks for, he gets. If he tells somebody to do something, they don't question him. They just say, yes, sir, and they do it. And he moves to the backside of the desert where now he is just a simple shepherd. He goes from the most elite and falls to the most simple. And in, in Exodus chapter 3, you find in verse 1, it describing what's going on with Moses. And here's what happens. It says that one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, right? He led the flock far into the wilderness, and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, before I go on any farther, I just want you to look at this with me really quick. Right? It says this, that he led the flock where into the wilderness? Now, look, don't, over, don't overlook little things like that. It, it, this means this. This is what it's basically telling us. Moses would have to take the sheep and the animals and let them graze in different places. Especially if you're in a desert, because, I mean, there's only so many places that you can go to where your animals are going to be able to graze, and you're going to have to move them around. But this time, Moses isn't going to one of the normal spots. This time, he's going to a far-out location where he doesn't even know what's out there. Now, what, let's just talk about this from a practical perspective. Why is Moses going far into the wilderness instead of just one of his normal routines? Why would he do that? See, because Moses... If Moses lived today, Moses would have the same feelings, emotions, um, will, and those kind of things like you would have. Just like if you were inserted into his time frame, it's still you with your same personality, your same emotions, your same mind. 
So is Moses doing that because he's depressed? Is Moses, you know, getting far into the wilderness because he's lacking confidence? I don't know, but I know this. Whatever he's doing, he's trying to get away from people. You ever had a moment in your life where you just wanted to get away from people? <laughs> you ever have one of those moments where you're just like, if I could just get out of here, hop on a plane, end up in some other country where no one knows me, this would be awesome for a couple of days. Right? That's, Moses is having one of those days, guys. And he's getting away. And for, for whatever reason, I don't know. It could even be that he is questioning God. Like, God, why, why are my people still in slavery to the Egyptians now for over 400 years? Why are your people, God, in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years? God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I'm just going to go to the far side of the desert because I, just, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. I got a gut feeling that Moses is experiencing those types of feelings, the same feelings like why you would want to just get away from people if you're having a really, really bad season in your life, right, where you've fallen from such great heights. And here's what's interesting about Moses in the midst of this story is that Moses, unbeknownst to him, God's leading him to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Now, later on in Moses' journey, God's going to bring him right back to that mountain and God's going to do something profound in his life. It's on top of that mountain that God gives him the Ten Commandments. Moses doesn't know this, though. So in the midst of Moses trying to get away from people, guess what God's doing? God's leading them right into an encounter with him. It's in the, it's in the times, guys, when we are running our hardest away from conflict, running our hardest away from you know, life, running our hardest, sometimes even away from God, that God's leading us and chasing us right into the crosshairs of a, of a true encounter with him. Because that's what's happening with Moses. And Moses, as he gets out to the backside of the desert, he has this encounter with God found in Exodus 3, verses 2 through 5. It says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire and from the middle of the bush, from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, Right? Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do you come, don't come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Guys, Moses, whether he's lacking confidence, he's questioning God, dealing with depression, or just trying to get away from people, God leads him right into a crosshairs of an encounter with him, and he ends up standing on holy ground. Now remember, Moses is just an average guy right now. He's just like you and me. He hasn't done anything profound, but this starts his encounters with God. What an amazing way to start your encounters with God. A burning bush in the middle of the night in a desert? Like, I think, God, you got my attention. Right? You got my attention. And we know that Moses has many more encounters with God. But it's also an awkward thing to start something new. If you've ever tried to tackle like a new job, remember back in the new job, day one, you walk into the new job. Do you have the full confidence of what you're supposed to be doing? No. But you have to display some level of confidence, right? You can't ask every single question. You've got to be able to show some level of competency, but everything's kind of clunky and awkward, isn't it? It's like for me, flying an airplane. I love flying an airplane. 
And you know what I really love about flying airplanes right now? Landing and walking away from it, all right? That's what I really love. No, I really do. I really love landing the airplane. You know why? Because the art of flying is in the landing of the airplane. Anybody can take off. That's what they tell you, at least. I'm not totally convinced about that, but you push the throttle to the firewall and pull back on the yoke a little bit, and when that plane gets enough speed, it's going to want to just take off. And what you're going to do is just keep pulling back, and you're just going to go straight up and straight down. It's not going to end pretty. So I'm not sure that everybody can take off. But I know this, not everybody can land the airplane. And when I was first landing the airplane, it was awkward, and it was clunky, and it didn't feel natural. The ground rush of the, of the ground coming at you and, the, and kind of the nose tilt of the airplane, and you're thinking, I'm going to run straight into the ground. And then they tell you to flare, flare. Well, when you're first flying a plane, you don't know what flaring is. So your flare is like this. And so the plane goes, bam, 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 bouncing down the runway. Now you owe somebody thousands of dollars because you broke off the landing gear, right? You did a prop strike. I mean, it's just awkward. Over time, you grow in the confidence, you just grow in confidence. And I'm no, I'm no expert pilot by any means. I'm just a novice. But I've landed a plane hundreds of times. Some of them are okay. Some of them are still pretty ugly. <laughs> but I'm more confident. There's not, there's that, I don't have that same fear. I have a healthy respect. For you, if you've never had a God encounter, it's going to feel awkward and clunky. And it's not that it's ever going to become normal, but you can grow in your confidence of meeting with God. To so just know it's awkward and clunky at the beginning to try anything new. Hunger after it. Learn the heart of God. Don't let go of God. Grab a hold of him. Wrestle with God, right, with things you don't understand. Seek him with a hungry heart. And you will end up with so many encounters with God that you'll forget more than you know. Because God really does want to be that personal in your life. A second encounter that happens, though, is one with Saul on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9. Now, one of my friends told me, I don't think it's Saul on the road to Damascus, Jeff. I go, really? Well, what do you think it is? He goes, well, in light of COVID and everything, I think it's Saul on the road to Damascus. Just let that one stay here. You probably don't want to share that joke anywhere else. Just let it be here. It's a, it's a sermon for another day. Paul on the road to Damascus, whatever. Paul on the road to Damascus. We know that Saul is a, is a spiritual leader, actually. Um, he, drew, he truly does have a hunger after God. He just doesn't know Jesus. He thinks he knows God, but he doesn't know him. And so in his pursuit after God, he is bent on with a hunger, with a tenacity to kill Christians, to put Christians in chains, to have a parade of Christians, to single-handedly take down what was called the way, the followers of Jesus Christ. That was his mission. So we find him in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It's on the screen. It says this, that Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Notice this. Because I don't think the Bible minces words, and I don't think that it mistakenly identifies things. It says this about him, right? That he utters threats with how many breaths? Can you imagine that? 
Can you, have you ever met somebody that is so bitter and so angry that every time you're around them, they keep talking about the same offense from 20 years ago? If you do, you probably don't have that person as a friend much longer. You at least defriended them on Facebook, right? And then you rarely show up for coffee. You tend to have other things to, to do because they keep circling back to the same offense over and over. Here's, here's Saul who is so ticked off and so angry that he's uttering offenses, he's uttering persecution. He can't stop calculating where he's going to go next to persecute Christians. Like, he just can't get it out of his mind. Everybody he meets with, he talks about. He's at your house for dinner, he's talking about it. He's with you at coffee, he's talking about it. He's out on the fishing boat, he's talking about it. He's flying an airplane with you, he's talking about it. Open the door, kick him out. (laughs) He can't get away from it. It's like an athlete. An athlete, they are uttering with every breath the oxygen needed to accomplish the task at hand. A healthy athlete is taking in a massive amount of oxygen to run faster, to hit harder, to skate faster, to throw the ball farther, right? They're they're just doing that all the time. And it's like that. I want you to see that what the Bible's saying here, if you break it down in its context of what it's really trying to drive home, it's giving you the vivid image of of a marathon athlete uttering with every breath, the oxygen needed to keep running the race. And that's what, that's what Saul's doing. With every breath, he's trying, to, he's trying to accomplish his mission of taking down Christians. Now, you would think that that kind of guy is definitely going to have an encounter with God. It's just not going to be the one he's looking for. You, ever, you guys ever made that statement? Like, early on in Christianity, or some of you made it today, coming in, coming into new life. You're like, well, hope this goes well. Hope the church doesn't get struck by lightning. Right? As if God's looking at you and he's going to kill all of us because of your sin. That's not going to happen. All right? But we've thought that before. And we would think about Saul like, yeah, God's going to meet with you and it's not going to be pretty. But that's not really what happens. As he goes out on this you know, additional raid on the road to Damascus, going to the city to hunt and kill and, and uh, you know, uh, put in prison believers, God meets with him. And here's what happens in verse 3 and 4. It says that as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is where his encounter begins. Unlike Moses, Saul's encounter starts with this angry, bitter heart that is opposed to God. Did you realize that today you can have an angry bitter heart that's opposed to God and God still wants to have an encounter with you? And I'm not talking about one that strikes you dead with lightning. I'm talking about one that draws you closer to him. Because the voice that Saul heard was the voice of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter where you're at. You could be totally opposed to God. You could be sitting here with your arms crossed figuratively or literally thinking to yourself like, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to listen to this message. I wish there was a way to get out of here, but it's awkward now because the doors are closed and I guarantee you they got hosted the doors and they're not going to let me out, which is not the case. But you could be here and you could be sensing that, like, I just want to get out of here. I want you to know today, you could have walked yourself right into the crosshairs of where God wants you so that he can encounter you. 
It doesn't matter where you are, God's still chasing you. And you know what the most profound thing about Christianity is? Is how many of us have stories that we were running 180 degrees away from God, the opposite direction of what God wanted for our life, and that's where God got a hold of us. It was when I was hell-bent that I ran right into Jesus. It was when I was strung out on drugs and alcohol and wrapped up in sexual perversion, that's when I ran into Jesus. Story after story after story, including your own pastor's story. It's amazing to me how many encounters God has with people when they think that they are fully in control of their life, making their own decisions, running away from God. And God's going, "Mm, sorry, you're still going to run into me because I'm chasing you. The last one is in the chapter right before it, Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch. This guy's amazing. Right? I mean, he is a high power figure. In our day and age, if he was in America, he would be like, um, you know, in the cabinetry of the presidents. And he serves the queen of Ethiopia as the treasurer. And the Bible tells us that he went from Ethiopia, which is south of Egypt, makes a long journey all the way up to Jerusalem just to worship. He wasn't sent there for any business, nothing. In fact, he took vacation from his job to go and worship. And we're talking a long journey up there, days if not a month spent in Jerusalem before they ever turn around and start heading back down to Ethiopia again. And we're told about this guy that um, he came to worship and that he spent a lot of money on a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah. And it says that it's very expensive. And in fact, just to help you understand, a scroll of that day, of that day was handwritten Right? And it was verified that every character is exactly where it needs to be on the page and that every sentence is exactly the way it needs to be. And if there's any slight mistake, the whole thing gets ripped up, burned up, and thrown away. So the verification of that handwritten scroll is high and it takes a lot of time. Those scrolls cost a lot of money. So much money that mo- most of the time those scrolls were only found in synagogues shared by a Jewish community. But this guy owns one of them all to himself. That's a lot of money. If it's shared by a community and he only owns it. You see what I'm saying? And it says that he sacrificed and he spent the money on this. He's come to worship and now he's heading back home. And while he's headed back home, God goes, I see that man. I see the sacrifice of that man's worship. I see the sacrifice of that man's finances. I see the hunger in his heart for me. And God goes, I'm going to encounter that guy. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 29 and 31, it says that the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk, walk alongside, walk beside the carriage, excuse me. Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the, into the carriage and to sit with him. This is a two for the price of one encounter. One, Philip has an encounter with the Holy Spirit that leads him to the road leading south down out of uh, Jerusalem. He doesn't know why. Then when he's sitting there, God goes, that's the reason why that man in that, that uh, carriage, go, go walk alongside him. So he gets down there, walks alongside him. Then God goes, you see what he's reading? That's why you're here. Ask him this one question. Do you know what you're reading? This whole thing is an encounter with God. Then the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, experiences the encounter with God through Philip. Now that's interesting. The, do you realize that God can use you to help someone else encounter his presence? That it's not just the spiritual leader, it's not just the pastor, it's not just the person standing in front of you, that God will use you to help someone else experience the power of his presence? 
Meaning he might give you a verse for someone. He might cause you to go and pray for someone. He might cause you to go and encourage them. How many times has someone else been the God-sent person for you? I needed that person at that moment. I needed someone to speak that word to me at that moment. I pray that every single one of you have had that kind of a story in your life. Why? Because we're built for each other. And that means that God wants to use you to, in, to help another person encounter his power and his presence. But I want you to notice this about the Ethiopian. He sacrifices a lot to go worship. He sacrifices a lot to get the Bible, which you can get by downloading the Bible app for free. And many copies of it, by the way. And he humbles himself and he allows Philip to come into his chariot. He doesn't just claim, I'm rich, I'm knowledgeable, I'm powerful. No, I don't need you. I'll figure this out on my own. I got people I pay back home. They'll tell me what this thing says. No, he humbles himself and he goes, I need help. Guys, that's the heart God's looking for today. He's looking for a heart that's willing to sacrifice to worship. Sacrifice for his word. And humble enough to say, I need you, Jesus. You have that kind of heart? I'm telling you, you're going to meet with God today. In all three of these encounters, there's some very unique things about God, though. And let me just leave you with these thoughts. First, God knew every single one of them before they knew him. Moses was called by name. Saul, called by name. The Ethiopian knew exactly where he was at, on the road, exactly when he was going to be there, and God sends a messenger to him. He knows you, church, before you've ever known him. And that hunger that God has of knowing you causes him to go, I want, to, I want you to know me. And so he pursues humanity even before humanity pursues him. And right now, God knows you, and he's been pursuing you. So open your heart up, because he's got something for you today. The second thing that, uh, that I see in this whole idea is that God met them where they were at, okay, which was in totally different places, and he met them in the condition of their heart, which was in totally different conditions of their heart. Moses was at work. Did you realize that God could have an encounter with you at work? Have you ever let that be part of the expectation of your heart? I guarantee you a lot of you need an encounter with God at work because you face some very stressful things and you face some big decisions that you have to make. And you have to, many of you have to lead people or you're accomplishing an assignment that's going to affect others. You, you need God to encounter you at work to give you wisdom beyond your years, to give you knowledge beyond what you've gained through going to school or your experience on this earth. We need to meet with God to make wise biblical decisions on a regular basis at work, just to maintain the ethics needed. Where does Saul meet him? Saul meets him in the condition of anger, hatred, and persecution. That's a different place to be met. But lastly, the Ethiopian meets him in worship. There is no one place that God's going to meet with you. It's not just here at church. It's not just while reading your Bible. It's not just in prayer. God wants to surprise you like a surprise party. I know that you wouldn't want a surprise party, but secretly you do. Come on, be honest. Especially if it involves gifts and financial money gifts. Then you'll take a surprise party every day. God wants to surprise you at times with his presence. He, he's looking for hungry hearts, though. Lastly, the first encounter God had with every single one of these individuals was not the last. The first encounter led to many more. We know that because biblically we see Moses interacting with God 
in encountering him in powerful ways. Saul encounters him in many different ways. And that leads me to understand that the character and the nature of God is to not just have one encounter with you, but to have many. And so my belief is that the Ethiopian goes back home and continues to have multiple revelations and encounters with God. And so we've heard three stories that have previously been written. And let me just make this last statement to you today. Now it's time for you to write your story of encountering God. You've heard three. What will your story look like? I want you to walk out of this place beginning that story of going, I'm meeting with God. God will surprise you. He'll surprise you. He'll whisper to your heart today. He'll bring a tear to your eye. He'll bring hope to your heart. He'll speak a word of encouragement. He'll give you the answer to the thing you've been looking for. All what he's looking for from us is will you sacrifice and worship? Will you sacrifice of yourself? And will you humble yourself enough to say, I need you? So guys, let's expect God to start writing a story about you and your encounters with him. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today I'm encouraged and my heart is filled with hope that you, God, you have the ability to meet with us right now and leave us different than you found us. That's what you did with Moses, Saul, the Ethiopian, and you can do it with people that are here right now in Corning or Platt, Ogallala, and online. Holy Spirit, come. Come and invade this place. Interrupt our agenda today. Whisper into our hearts today what you have for us. Lord, there's things that you uniquely want to say to each individual that's here. There's revelation that you want to bring And sometimes it's not about any of those things. It's just the awareness that we are standing in your presence and the awe of that. So Lord, may where we're at become the altar where we meet with you. The place that we're standing right now, let it become an altar where we meet with with the living God and may the power and the presence of Jesus invade this place and invade people's homes right now and meet them right where they are. In Jesus' name, amen.